Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. This week's message is by our senior pastor, Donna Astern. Um, I want you to know that we have been praying for you this week. And we know that um, a number of people are facing challenges. And we have been praying that you pass your tests and that you experience the strategy and the wisdom of God for your situations, that you overcome in all things, and that you wind up with a glorious testimony. And we have asked the Lord for good reports. And so I want you to know that you are not, you are not ever intended to be alone, you know. And sometimes we don't share a whole lot of what's going on in our lives with one another. But, you know, let somebody know and put your request on the, on the prayer report you know, the card and everything, because we care about you. We want to see you overcome every challenge that you face in your life, you know. And um, some some weeks, life is harder than other weeks, you know. But God is good at all times and in every situation. And that's what we want is, is for you to experience his goodness no matter what is going on in your life right now, all right. And it'll be to his praise and to his glory. Praise God. All right, if you would... Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 5. The book of Luke, chapter 5. Have any of y'all been watching the Christmas TV specials? <laughs> We've got yeses and noes, okay. Well, if you've ever watched Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> you know, there's a character on Peanuts called Pigpen. Little kid that walks around with a cloud of dirt all the time. And Charlie Brown says to him that he's the only person he knows could get dirty in a snowstorm. And Pigpen, it doesn't matter if he goes in and washes up. He did go clean up one day because he wanted to impress Viola, or Violet, whatever her name is. But within a few seconds, he was all dirty again, and he had a little cloud of dirt. And it's so funny that when you watch him on the cartoon, that wherever he goes, there's this little movement of this dust being kicked up wherever he goes. And tonight I want to talk to you about the end of pig pen days. Do <laughs> You know that pig pen could wash, but he always got that cloud back again. And some people are living like that in that they have a cloud of dirt of cloud of negative thinking that keeps coming around. And no matter where they go, they've got that cloud that goes with them. I just want us to look at Luke chapter 5. The story here is about the Jesus had gone out to preach, and he got into one of the, um, he got into Simon Peter's boat, and he was from there preaching to the crowds. And then he worked a miracle, told them to let down their nets, and they had a humongous a catch of fish after that. And after this tremendous miracle of this bounty of fish in verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you'll be catching men. You know, Peter realizes he's in the presence of somebody not at all like him. And it was the, it was the power of God when he realized he was standing in the presence of tremendous holy power. It set off in him a, a reaction that said, I have to distance myself from this type of holiness. You know, Isaiah had a similar reaction when he had the vision and he saw the, the seraphim and he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And remember, he, was, he felt that same way, that personal um, repulsion because of his own state in the presence of holiness. And so Peter you know, he recognizes, you know, Peter's just a regular guy. He's a blue class worker. He's, you know, kind of got a bad temper. He's got a, got a problem with cussing. And he's just kind of a regular guy. And he's out there working hard. And when he gets in the presence of a holy person, 
The reaction is to fall upon his face and just say, get out of here because I am a sinful person. And to me, I picture pig pen feeling, I am too dirty. Don't come close to me. I might contaminate you. Some of my dirt might get on you. You need to be separated from me because I'm too dirty and I'll always be too dirty. But notice this in verse 10. Jesus doesn't lecture him. He doesn't say, you're exactly right. You're a lousy sinner. You're a terrible person. I know, you cuss. You're getting fights all the time. You're hot-headed. You know, Jesus does not lecture him at all for the condition he's in. Why? There's no reason to. You know, when somebody is repentant, when they recognize their condition, you don't need to beat them up over it. You don't need to lecture them. You know, that's one reason why the Word tells us that if we will examine ourselves, we'd not be judged, right? Because there's no need for somebody else to come and to blast us if we've already taken a good hard look at ourselves. So Jesus doesn't lecture him. There's no need. But what does Jesus tell him? Number one, don't fear. And number two, from now on, your life's going to be different. He's not even looking at the past. Jesus says, okay, that was then. This is now. From now on. You know, we've acknowledged the past. The past he was sinful. Peter's repentant in the present. And Jesus says, from now on, it's going to be a new day. It's going to be something different. Your experience is going to be different. You know, let me ask you. And, and then he speaks of him, of from now on you're catching men. I mean, he's talking to him about working with Jesus in tremendous ministry, ministry isn't he? This blue-collar, coarse, loud-mouthed, hothead who knows who he is and has no pretensions about who he is. Jesus says, you're going to work with me in ministry. I've got use for you. Now, let me ask you something. Why did Peter come fall on his face and cry out, I'm a sinful man, to Jesus? Why would he do that? Because he knew himself, right? You know, everybody else can look on the outside, but you know what's really going on, on the inside of your heart. You know exactly the kind of thoughts you're having, and you know the types of things that you've done in secret that nobody else knows about. And so his own heart is condemning him. His own heart is saying, I am disqualified from even being in your presence. You know, but Jesus doesn't want to relate to Peter based upon his past or based upon his admission of being sinful. He says from now on, we're not going to talk about your sin. We're not going to talk about your past. We're going to talk about from now on. That is a beautiful behavior, a beautiful action. You know, how many times is that when we've come to the Lord or we've come to someone who is an oversight and we've been repentant, maybe instead of them saying from now on, instead we got chastised further. Maybe instead we got lectured or we got beat up further. But, you know, there's no reason for that if we're repentant. It is preaching of, to preach the law is what's to bring repentance, right? And so sometimes we have to preach and confront and be tough with people to get them to face up to the truth about themselves. But once they face the truth, hey, we're done. There, there's no more confrontation. There's no more beating up. Once we have faced the truth, the, the truth and they have seen it. Unfortunately, all humans don't necessarily walk in that kind of, you know, wisdom or grace. But that's how, that's the standard that Jesus deals with us and that's how we are to deal with one another. Now let me ask you this, how differently would Peter have thought about himself and how differently <coughs> might his response have been if he, if he had always obeyed his conscience? Say that Peter had always kept the law of Moses, he'd always been at church every Sabbath, he'd, he'd always been kind and patient with everyone, and he'd always responded in the proper way to every situation of his entire life. He would not have come falling down before Jesus saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, would he? Right? Because his heart would not condemn him. He'd feel confident to just go right up and just, well, this is a great revival. We're having great miracles. What can I do to help? There would not have been that sense of condemnation. Let me ask you, what's going on inside your thought processes? What is going on inside of you? How differently would you think about yourself if you had always obeyed the Lord perfectly? How would you think about yourself differently? 
if you had never lied, never lost your temper, always paid your tithe, always walked in perfect faith and confidence, always, you know, been generous and kind to people around you, how would your own heart be right now? You could believe God for anything, couldn't you? There'd be absolutely no condemnation. You would not hesitate to worship. You'd not hesitate to to move out and believe God for miracles. There'd be absolutely no hesitation because your heart would not condemn you whatsoever. Isn't that true? How does your current thinking affect your confidence in the Lord? The way that you think about yourself, because if you're like Peter and you're remembering all of the wrongdoing, all the mistakes, all those places where you just don't measure up, all of your weaknesses, if you're looking at yourself and thinking of the Lord, your your heart is going to cause you to pull back. This is why... People don't believe God. This is why people don't pray. This is why they don't worship. This is why they don't expect miracles. This is why they don't launch out on great endeavors of any kind for the Lord because their whole heart condemns them because they know what they're really like. And they know the types of thoughts and the things where, they, the things where they've done wrong and the times where they've missed it. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus' attitude for us is from now on. Let's do something else. From now on. Okay, the past is the past. But God is not wanting to relate to us according to the past, but from now on. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're coming to the end of our pig pen days. We're coming to the end of walking around with a continual cloud of condemnation, of doubt, of fear, of unbelief, of negativity. We're coming to the end of those pig pen things. Because Jesus is telling us from now on, I've got something in mind. From now on, it's going to be different. We're going to relate differently. (coughs) Romans 8, I'm going to read from the King James. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritual law, folks. Peter was operating under spiritual law. He knew that he had sinned. He knew that he had done wrong. And so he was reaping condemnation. He was reaping death. And we understand that the law, you know, the Bible says the law is a good thing. The problem is nobody can keep it. And so what happens when every time that a person fails and comes short, then that law of sin and death kicks into motion, and this person begins to start reaping death on some level. And the first place you start reaching death, reaping death is in your relationship with God. That's the very first place. Because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, right? So if there is sin, if we're entertaining sin, it's going to cause a wall between us and the Lord. And that is already cutting us off. And the longer that we continue in sin, it's going to contaminate our thought processes, contaminate our relationships, our life, everything that's going on, and eventually also contaminate our physical body. So the law of sin and death, sin will produce death on some level. Ultimately, it will produce physical death. And ultimately, after that, it will produce the second death, right? Where people go to hell. They are in the second death. Sin, the law of sin and death, cannot justify. It cannot produce good results. The law of sin always brings into condemnation, always brings into death. And so that's why there is such a place of almost hopelessness with the law of sin and death. And you can cry, you know, who can be saved? Because by the time you've broken this law one time, it's already pushing you toward an end result of death, right? So the law of sin and death always produces condemnation. Peter knew he was a sinful man. 
He knew he had done things wrong, and he was already self-condemned. Jesus didn't condemn him, but he was already self-condemned, right? Now, what does the word say here in verse 2? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is a higher law, and it supersedes the law of sin and death. It's just like, you know, the law of gravity. What goes up must come down, right? So how do airplanes fly? Because there is a higher law of aerodynamics, the law of lift, that certain factors come into place, and then that very big, heavy airplane will wind up flying through the air. And it lands when it wants to. When it, you know, it doesn't just go up and crash, it goes up and lands according to the law of aerodynamics. The law of lift, spiritually speaking, can lift you up, pass out of these dark storm clouds and get you on top of that into where the sunshine is. How many of y'all ever done that? Ridden on a plane and it's real cloudy, overcast, raining, and then you take off, you get off the ground, the next thing you go, you throw it through the clouds and then you're up there on top of the clouds where it's bright and sunshiny, right? You see, the law of lift will lift you up out past where the law of gravity is working. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is meant to lift us past the law of sin and death. So sin and death is under the cloudy, the, the cloudy, the gloomy, cloudy, overcast, hard sky. The law of life in Christ Jesus is up there where the sunshine is. See, the Lord is wanting to bring us past condemnation into life and peace. And that's what it says. The law of sin will produce death, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will produce life and peace. And these are spiritual laws. You know, you don't have to make them work. They just do. You get the factors in, in the place, they do. You throw something up in the, in the air, what's going to happen? It's coming down. You don't have to think about it, pray about it, hope about it. It just comes back, back down, right? And there are spiritual laws that are just as sure. We know that if a person sins, they are going to die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, according to Ezekiel, right? And the only way to stop that from happening is to have the law of the life in Christ Jesus supersede and overwrite that life. Because this law will satisfy the demands of righteousness, and then it will produce life and peace. So how are we going to activate the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? You know, we can be born again and still walk around with our pig pen cloud and still walk under condemnation and doubt. And so this is something that we can see people who get born again, but they're not really walking in the fullness of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, right? They're not really walking the fullness of what Jesus has given for us. That's like, you know, taxiing on the runway and never going anywhere. One time I flew into an airport in Florida. I promise you we taxied six miles to get to the, to get to the place. I had never been. I, it was out in the middle of the, you know, boondocks. But apparently, because it was next to a military installation or whatever, we had the land way over here and just drive, 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 drive until we got there. And I was thinking, man, I mean, we should have not come down so soon or something. I mean, it shouldn't take this long to get to the gate. But, you know, there are Christians that live like that. They just kind of taxi around. They're just taxiing around. It's still gloomy. It's still dark. It's still condemnation. They're saved. They're going to get to heaven Sunday. But, you know, they're not actually experiencing the sunshine. They're not experiencing the life and the peace that the Lord has, has promised for us to walk in. So the, how are we going to activate this higher law? Well, the first part, of course, is repentance. The second is faith. And the third is renewing the mind. So let's look at this. Examine your thoughts that you've been having. Just think about this past week, what's been going on. What kind of law is in operation inside of your thought processes this past week? Did you have condemnation or did you have peace? Did you have doubt or did you have faith? Did you have despair or did you have hope? Did you have guilt or security? How about fear or boldness or criticism or kindness? You see, these are two completely different laws in operation. If we're under the law of sin and death, we're going to have condemnation, doubt, despair, guilt, fear, and criticism. If we're operating the law of the spirit of life, Christ Jesus, we're going to be having the peace, the faith, the hope, the security, the boldness, and the kindness. So the first step out of that condemnation, out of that negative pig pen cloud, is repentance. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So the thing is, when we're in that place like Peter was, saying, I am a sinful man, the first step is to acknowledge, okay, I sinned. Okay, I blew it. I messed up. I made a mistake or I willfully sinned, whatever I did. And instead of just going around and feeling bad, you know, and feeling sorry for yourself or feeling unhappy, let's just go ahead and just repent. Just repent and get it over with, right? God, I messed up. I repent. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And the Bible says he will forgive us as we confess our sins. Now, confession is really important. You know, I think sometimes Christians are under way too much condemnation because instead of confessing their sin, they're just kind of forgetting about it and sloughing it off and, well, it's no big deal. Well, when you do that, you're not really getting cleansed. That cloud is still following you around. And what you and I need to do is say, you know what, I shouldn't have lied. You know what, God, I should have kept my temper. You know what, God, I should have this, I should have that. You're right, you're right, I was wrong, I confess it, help me do better. End of story. And then like Jesus is going to say to us, like he said to Peter, okay, from now on. And not going to beat us up, but he's going to say, okay, from now on, we're going to look at something different. Confession is important in restoring all relationships whether it's with the Lord or whether it's with somebody who's, you know, in our life. Confession is really good, you know. You can't just not say anything, not talk about anything. There's got to be a place of confession so that restoration and healing can take place. It's part of the, of the ministry of reconciliation. The second step of getting out of the pig pen days is faith. Now, faith is believing that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for your sin. It was enough. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you think that Jesus was punished enough for sin? Was he punished enough? Did Father God judge him thoroughly? Completely thoroughly, right? The Bible says he made him to, who had no sin to be sin for us, right? Did Father release all of his wrath on Jesus? All of it. In that case, there's not any judgment left, there's not any wrath left, and there's not any anger left at you or me. Because it all went to Jesus. you got to believe that, folks. You're, if you're under condemnation, you're still thinking God's mad at you. But understand, all of our sin was taken by Jesus. God poured out all of his wrath against sin on Jesus. Jesus took the whole thing, and then God was done. He was satisfied. He was done. It says in Isaiah, his soul was satisfied when he saw the suffering of the Lord. When he saw, when he put it upon Jesus, his heart of holiness and justice was satisfied. Hallelujah. God's fully satisfied, folks. He's not waiting for you to screw up so he can, so he can chastise you and beat you up. He's not waiting for you to mess up so he can you know, fuss at you and lecture you and make you pay a penalty. His wrath has been already satisfied at Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, you can flip over back a couple of pages. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. So our first step is to repent. Our second step is faith. To believe that our repentance took, that God forgave us for our sin. That he's not wanting to deal with us based upon our sin anymore. That just like Peter, he's saying, okay, from now on, and now we're going to move forward. You know, the, the word justified, a good definition is just as, just as if I'd never sinned. And when we understand that when we've confessed our sins to the Lord, He looks at us, 
just as if we had never done it wrong, not done it wrong, repented, made it right, but like you'd never done it wrong. What kind of attitude does his heart have towards us if we've never done anything wrong? Come on. People in your life that have never done you anything wrong, how do you feel towards them as compared to somebody who really has done you wrong a lot? <laughs> right? Your heart is open and wide towards a person that's never done you anything wrong. Isn't that true? Okay? Do you understand that this is where, how God is wanting us to see ourselves? He's not wanting to deal with us on based upon sin, but he wants us to see ourselves as justified. So this means we can't continue to have that cloud of thoughts around us and say, well, you know, you really didn't pray enough and you forgot to read your Bible this morning and you, you didn't tithe last month and you didn't this and you did this. and That's just pig pen stuff. That's not how God wants to relate to you and to me but related upon our sin covered by the blood of Jesus. So this means that the third step of walking out of this condemnation is you and I have got to get our minds renewed. We have got to begin to think in accordance as God thinks towards us, according as the scripture reveals. And when God says that he does not condemn us and he does not judge us, we've got to actually believe that. And that means take all those thoughts of judgment and criticism under captivity and say we're not going to allow these processes in our mind you know it's it's time for us to begin to see ourselves and think about ourselves in our secret thought life the way that God thinks towards us instead of harboring the thoughts of accusation or fear or shame or unbelief or whatever those thoughts are that have come out of our realization of our past when our minds are renewed we will think and behave as someone who has been justified without shame and without guilt. So did you fail yesterday? You don't have to raise your hand. Did you mess up yesterday? Were you doing pretty good up until yesterday? You lost your temper. You did something you shouldn't have, whatever. Guess what? Yesterday is over. It's over. It's a new day. Start over. Do-overs, right? You know, how many times it is we have, we have thought, oh, I'm going to do this new thing or stop doing that old thing. I'm going to make a change in my behavior. And you're going along, and then you fail. You've made a mistake. Instead of getting into condemnation, let's just say, okay, we're going to start over tomorrow. Do over. Just start over. And we're not going to allow ourselves to get beat up with condemnation because yesterday is over. You know, Peter, when he came to Jesus... He was, he was talking about things he did before. He was talking about he was sinful because of yesterday. Guess what? Yesterday is past. Let's look at Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations in the Old Testament, right behind Jeremiah. Probably don't read there real often. But if you can find Jeremiah, he's one of the major prophets. You get what? Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations. A real skinny little book right in there. After Jeremiah. It's only a few chapters. We're going to look at Lamentations chapter 3. Now the reason this book is called Lamentations is because it was written, most people attribute it to Jeremiah, but it could have been someone else. But it's basically a, a long complaint about the horrors that the people have lived through because of the judgment of God had fallen upon them. The, um, the people had suffered war. They were suffering famine, I mean, cannibalism, uh, enemy, enemy invaders. There was just, it was a horrible, horrible time to live. And God had been warning the Israelites for years through the prophets that if they didn't repent, bad stuff like this was going to happen. You know, it just amazes me. I've been thinking about this lately about how so many times people do not want God. They, you know, they don't want God in the school. They don't want God in the media. They don't want God in their lives. They don't want God telling them what to do. And, and the problem with that is when you reject God, you reject goodness. And we, we see people, they don't want God until they get in trouble. Their marriage is in trouble. Their health is in trouble. Their finances are in trouble. Now they want God. But see, if, if you've rejected God all this time, 
You don't have him there to fix these problems. And it's like, you know, people, idiots, they're fools, fools in, in the world today. And they think, we don't want God's rule. We don't want righteousness. But then if you will look over at other nations where they don't have any sense of, of the value of life, which comes from God. They don't have any sense of, of decency, which comes from God. They don't have any sense of compassion for human beings, which comes from God. Those are brutal, barbaric countries with horrible, horrible things happening over there. And, and that is the natural result of rejecting God. And I think that a lot of times people in our country just don't think that far. Oh, it'll never happen in America. I'm like, you continually reject God. You are continually rejecting goodness, decency, fairness, blessing. I mean, it's a package deal. And so I'm, I, I'm getting really concerned about some trends I'm seeing in our country. The rejecting of, of God means the invitation to evil. You, you don't get it both ways. You get good or evil. And people... They think in their, their complacency, and they think, well, you know, you know, just live and let live and blah, blah. No, no, no. We're talking destruction of the family. We're talking destruction of society. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever lived anywhere that was a real dangerous neighborhood. But, you know, in a real dangerous neighborhood, you know, you don't dwell at peace. You don't let your dog go out or your kid go out, and you make sure everything's locked up and you've got security alarms and, and you really go out and pair. And in dangerous neighborhoods, that's how you live. You know what? Dangerous neighborhoods are just a small example of what happens when people reject God's values. Because what's happened in those, in those neighborhoods, in dangerous neighborhoods, they don't, they don't have a value for life, do they? They'll kill people for a pair of shoes. You know, and when people say, well, we, with, you know, we just want to live life and do it our way. Folks, when you reject God, this is part of the package deal that comes in, you know. And I really, I really think people have not thought things through. And as I've heard and listened to horrible things happening in the nations that do reject God, the, the corruption and the torture that goes on of ordinary citizens just because people didn't want God's values. It's a horrible thing. You know, you know what? I want to be right, don't you? I want to be right. You know, I was thinking during worship about how the Lord told us he sent us to go disciple the nations. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that you and I necessarily have a public platform to, to you know, govern the nation, but we can disciple the people in, that are closest to us, our children, our family, our friends, people that we know, Teach them the ways of God. Teach them the values of God, to value life, forgiveness, decency, all these types of things we can teach and impart. That's discipling the nation. You know, it's really, really important. The saying is that, you know, what one generation allows in moderation, the next generation allows in excess. You know, and we look at the deterioration that goes down through generations when people let go of godly values. You see? I'm not talking about legalism and religious stuff, but just things like the sanctity of life. You know, we've watched a trend in our nation for the last, you know, what, 50 years. And, you know, and the things that we are seeing being debated and, and fought right now, you know, 50 years ago, people didn't believe it would ever get this far. But I'm telling you, where do you think, if it goes unstopped, where do you think it will be in 50 years from now? You know, Hitler convinced a whole bunch of people just to kill Jews for no good reason. But they were Jews, right? He convinced a lot of people to do stuff like that. There are people now who think that, well, if you reach a certain age and your body's kind of given out, you don't deserve to live anymore. And, you know, there are people who decide that certain, you know, babies shouldn't live anymore. And, and the thing is, it's like without God, those things will move increasingly worse and worse and worse. And so this is why it's really important that our minds are renewed with the Word of God and we're not swayed according to all the rhetoric and the stuff that's going on out there in the media, that you and I need to know what the Word of God says so we can build our lives upon it and even train other people. This is why it's also important that we've made it part of membership here to teach you about world views because so many Christians do not have a biblical worldview. And if Christians don't have a biblical worldview, how in the world are we going to expect anybody else to have one, right? 
And so we've got to train our people. This is discipleship. Yes, train you how to think like a Christian because we are bond servants of Jesus Christ, right? And it's thinking, not just parroting what other people say, but actually taking it through your pro- thought processes and thinking these through from a biblical point of view. And I really believe that the more that we, that we are biblical, that the less we're going to have a lot of some of the wild extremes in Christianity. You know, th- to me, there's a lot of deception out there where the people think, well, it's okay, you can believe this or believe that. I'm sorry, but there are some things, they're just black and white. There are some things that are just non-negotiable. That's just all there is to it, you know. But there are certain groups in Christianity that are even trying to pull apart and say, well, this isn't God and that doesn't really matter and blah, blah, blah. And all that is is a little bit of poison seeping in to bring in disaster later on. So let's go back. Where was our Lamentations 3, okay? Lamentations 3, verse 19. So, yes, I was telling you, these people were having lamentations because it was a really bad time to live. Verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Wormwood is a very bitter plant. And so it's a a poetic way of talking about life is very bitter right now. Remember my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. So it's a really difficult time to live. There's not anything to smile about right now. Everything is pretty awful at life at this point. But he says in verse 20, Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Wow. During a time of tremendous suffering, when Israel is reaping the consequences of their previous behavior, I mean, they're just reaping what they sowed. You can't blame this on the devil and just blame it on themselves, okay? Because God warned them. You know, reaping is supposed to be educational. It's supposed to be educational. Reaping means you're supposed to learn not to do that again, right? That's how come when a parent disciplines a child, the consequences for disobedience are supposed to be enough to make a child not want to do that again. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Reaping is supposed to be educational, although the Bible does say in Proverbs that fools don't learn anything. You can reprove a fool over and over, but they just won't get it. They won't ever learn. So in times of suffering, in times of reaping, it's a time to learn something, to find out what is going on and what can be learned, all right? In spite of the current circumstances, even though life is hard, it's affliction, it's bitterness, but he says in verse 22, love, his loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. You know, it doesn't look like there's any kind of compassion going on in your life right now, according to the author of Lamentations. Everything is so horrible that nothing looks like it's praiseworthy. Nothing looks good. But he says, I know in my soul, my soul is going to remember the truth about God, and I'm going to have hope. And so he says, verse 23, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. He makes a declaration of God's faithfulness, even though life is really bitter right now and things are really tough. He makes a declaration that every morning there is new loving kindness and there is compassion. Also, in this passage, the the writer has the attitude of actively seeking the Lord every morning with expectation. So it's not an attitude of, well, you know, life is just really bad. I'm just complaining. But he's got an attitude of, I'm going to expect to find some goodness from the Lord. I'm going to expect to find his faithfulness and his fresh compassions and fresh new loving kindnesses for me every morning. So there's an attitude of seeking the Lord, which he says in verse 25, the Lord is good to the one who seeks him. In the time of bitterness, in the time of pain, not everybody seeks the Lord. But that is a time to seek him with expectation that they're go- you're going to see his goodness. Look what it says here. They're new every morning, verse 23. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Every morning. 
So you messed up yesterday. Guess what? Today is new. Isn't that good? You messed up yesterday, Peter. From now on, today is new. I love this. Because, you know, we can beat ourselves up. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I'm sorry. I tried, but I made a mistake. I just blew it. I failed. Whatever. And you can beat yourself up. Or you can say, yesterday is past. Today is a new day. From now on. God's got new loving kindness, new compassion for me today. And even if life is tough, even if things are hard, I'm going to look to him expectantly to see he's going to show me compassion. Right? What is compassion? But mercy. It's the motivation to help. Right? It's love that goes into action. So I'm going to expect, even in a time of affliction or bitterness, I'm going to expect that his compassion towards me is brand new today. He didn't get tired of giving it to me yesterday. It's new for me today. Hallelujah. That's wonderful news. Verse 27, it's good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. What's that about? The yoke is a discipline of submission to the Lord. Everybody can sit around and complain and rage when things are not going well. But it's good to learn the yoke of submission to the Lord while you are young in the things of God. It's really good to know that because it's going to help you later on in your walk with God that you won't give in to just complaining and ranting and raving, but instead you'll discipline yourself to trust the Lord and believe that His loving kindnesses, His mercies are going to be new to me today. And that takes a discipline because when you're in pressure and you're not feeling good, there's a lot of pain in your life, this, the tendency is to rant and rave. It's the tendency is to get into despair. It's not to discipline yourself to come under and to put him first. Because when we're hurting, all we can feel sometimes is that we're hurting. Isn't that right? Come on, when you're in pain, that's, that's right in front of you. No matter what kind of pain you're in, relationship pain, financial pain, physical pain, doesn't matter. It occupies your attention. But we've got to remember like Job, Job in the midst of tremendous pain, he knelt and worshipped in the time of worship. You know, it's no matter what's going on, we're going to pull back to discipline ourselves to think and submit to Him, to trust that God knows where I am, what's going on, and to trust to see His goodness and to trust to see His faithfulness in the spite of it all. And it may not be the way that you or I would like for it to be or we thought it was going to be or as fast as we want it to be. God's usually never as fast as I want it to be. But... The truth is that he knows what he's doing in my life and your life, and he cannot be anything but good to us. And when we are, we are determined that we're going to submit to his lordship in our lives, he will make all things work out for us. Even whatever painful, difficult circumstance you might be in right now, if we will trust him, he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, right? He will lead us into a place of his provision, into a place of his blessing. But it may be a long walk. You know, one thing that's wrong in America is a lot of people have got the microwave mentality. You know, if I didn't get free in two seconds, you know, it must not be coming. No, God's at work, but God's looking for faith on the earth. He's looking for someone who will expect him to come through. And so even if it doesn't look like that things are going well, we know that God's word cannot lie and his compassions never fail. His loving kindnesses never cease. So that's what we're going to anticipate. God, even in the midst of my personal pain, you're extending mercy to me right now. Let's face it. Everybody, when you have been in pain, you may have been in tremendous difficulty, but you know it always could have been worse. It always could have been worse. There's been plenty of times I've thought, well, at least I've got this, or at least that didn't happen, at least this, that, something. And if you get down to where nothing else, Joyce Meyer always says, well, praise God, you're not going to hell. You know, if everything else is going bad, at least you got something that's still holding on, all right? And, you know, the truth is that the Bible says that our, this is a momentary affliction. It's a temporary situation. I know that if you have been in a long-term painful situation, it looks like this has just been, you know, never-ending. But the truth is that in light of eternity, Paul says it's a momentary affliction. 
And it may be difficult, it may be challenging right now, but in the light of the rest of your existence, this is a blip. It's a very brief moment. So while we're getting through this momentary affliction, while we're getting through it, we're going to look for faithful, His faithfulness, His loving kindness, and His compassions to be there for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, There if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. And in verse 21 it says, But he made him to be, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, God is looking at us righteous in Christ Jesus. And therefore, he's releasing to us all of his mercy, all of his compassion. And we're learning the discipline of submitting to his lordship and submitting to him no matter what kind of test that we might be going through. We're learning the discipline so that we can pass every test, as I've been praying for you to do, to pass every test that you're in right now. Some of us, we just want fast deliverance, and God's trying to grow something into us, or he's trying to break something off of us. But I want you to pass your test so that you can be pleased and not have to take that one again so soon. Amen. <laughs> All right. Let's look over at Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord has new compassions for us. So much of the time, even that we have been under condemnation because we are reaping things that we have sown. And some people live in the land of if only. If only this hadn't happened. If only I'd done that. If only that. If only this. You know, that's a place of condemnation to live there. You know, we've got to not live in the past. We need to learn from the past. Learn the lessons. Appreciate it. See our mistakes. See what we did right. And then move forward from it. Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Do you know that you and I are not to live our lifestyles thinking the same way that those people think out there? That our minds are not to think the same way. They may screw up, do things wrong, and they may be living with lifelong guilt and shame and condemnation. But you and I are not to live in the futility of our mind like those people. We are to think differently. This is being a discipled follower of Jesus Christ, right? Look at verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust, the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, the third step of walking out of the condemnation is getting our minds renewed. To understand that God's faithfulness and compassion is there for us. And then also to understand that he has created us to be righteous in his sight. He's not dealing with us according to the past. He's dealing with us according to righteousness. So we're going to lay aside the old self with its practices. If we lay aside the old self and its practices, we're going to stop the sin and we're going to stop the condemnation. Right? How many of you feel really good when you pass your test of temptation? Don't you feel good when you don't give in? It's a wonderful feeling when you don't give in, right? When you fail and give in, you're condemned. But when you don't, you feel so much better about yourself. You have a new measure of peace because you know that you succeeded. We are to speak the truth of the word versus the lies of the accuser. The accuser is always going to point to your past and point out all your mistakes and shortcomings and things that you regret and wish you'd never done and whatever. The accuser is always going to be there to point those out. But you and I have got to learn to tell the accuser to be quiet and to listen to the words of truth and not to allow the enemy's thought processes to interfere with our own. And when we feel like, Peter, I'm a sinful man, to just put that aside, knowing that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and, and go from there and move on and get our minds to think in a new way. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 5. He said about no one puts new wine in old wineskins, right? 
And he says, why is that? Because the new wine, when it begins to ferment, it's going to cause those skin wine bags to burst as it swells. And you're going to have a mess, you're going to wreck the wine bag, and you're going to lose the wine. So he says, you don't put the new into an old wineskin. You see, the thing is that you can come and you can hear a message about righteousness, and you can hear a message about no condemnation. But if, the, if you've still got the same thought patterns inside and you have not dealt with those, that new truth, that new wine is going to slip right out. It's not going to stick. I've, I've known people that they listen and they hear words of truth, but it doesn't remain within them. You talk to them five months later, six months later, and the same condemnation is coming out of their mouth. The same rejection, the same pain is coming out of their mouth because their minds have not been renewed with the Word of God. And so old mindsets are going to have a tendency to reject the new. So this means there's going to be a little bit of a process involved for you and I to get our minds renewed. Because in an old wineskin is one that is kind of set in its ways. It's one that, well, this is how things always were. A new wineskin is one that is going to be a new way of thinking, a new practiced way of thinking. There is a discipline to renew the mind so that you can hold on to the new thoughts. Because it's like this. If you are living under condemnation right now, and if you get a prophetic word and the Lord says to you, you are the apple of my eye, you are accepted in my sight, you are a blessing to me, you are sanctified, I'm going to do great things with you. If your heart condemns you, how will you hear those words? No, I don't know what they're talking about. They've just been making that up. I know that ain't God. You know, I know myself. You know, you'll be rejecting an accurate word of the Lord because of condemnation, because you have not trained yourself to receive those things. But if you will train your mind to think according to what God's Word says, you'll be able to believe the good things that God wants to tell you. You'll be able to receive them. Okay? All right. Renewing the mind is to deliberately accept, believe, and agree with the Word of God. It's not just to allow it to be heard, but deliberately. For example, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin and you're still feeling bad about it, but if I tell you, did you confess your sin? And you say, yes, I did. Did you mean it when you confessed it? Yes, I did. Then God has forgiven you, hasn't he? Well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Has God forgiven you? Based upon the authority of his word, he has forgiven you. So since he has forgiven you, there's no reason to condemn yourself, is there? There's no reason to beat yourself, is there? There's no reason for paying a penalty any longer. You know, there's no reason for, what do you call it in, um, in the Catholic Church, say six Hail Marys, and what do you call that? Penance, right? There's no reason for that because the blood of Jesus was enough. Now, we, may, we need to learn a new way to walk so that we can stay out of condemnation. But it's not a matter of salvation by works, is it? It's salvation by the blood of Jesus. So we're going to deliberately accept God's word. If he says, I'm forgiven, then I'm forgiven. If he says, I am righteous, then I'm righteous. If he says that I'm the apple of his eye, then I'm the apple of his eye. Right? If he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, then so I am. Right? Okay. You might, um, you might be walking out some consequences right now. You might be walking out some reaping of some past mistakes of sins. But I want you to understand that even if you may be walking out some things today, as far as the Lord's concerned, yesterday's over. It's over. Your past is history. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody sins. Everybody screws up. God knew this when he put us on the earth. He knew this when he sent Jesus to the cross. He knew we'd still need help. All right? Learn from your mistakes. You know, let's, let's, have an, let's have the attitude of a student. I'm a student of life. I'm a learner. You know, I learn not to put my hand on the stove because it hurt. So I don't do that anymore. I don't criticize myself or beat myself up and say, well, that was stupid. No, I learned something from that. It was harmful. It was painful. And I'm not doing it again. Right? We take responsibility for what we have done. But once we've taken responsibility, we're going to learn from it. We're going to forgive other people. 
because they're making mistakes left and right too, just like you and I are, aren't they? Come on, nobody's perfect. Everybody's messing up. So we're going to have patience and we're going to forgive them and we're going to forgive ourselves and move on. When you forgive yourself, let's go on from there. Let's not allow it to beat ourselves up. You know, God is working in you right now. He is working in you right now and to, to bring you to a new place of freedom. So let's not stay in condemnation any longer. What kind of thoughts come from righteous thinking? What kind of thoughts come from a person whose mind has been renewed? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, Psalm says, right? So what kind of thoughts would you have if you have the righteousness of Christ thinking? The, spirit of law, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You've got thoughts of hope. You've got thoughts of encouragement, of love, of peace, of mercy, of gratitude, and of courage, right? You believe if you have righteousness thinking, you believe that you can actually be a help to somebody else. You can be a service. You can be a blessing. You've got something to offer somebody else. You know, somebody needs you today. Somebody needs you. You and I need to walk out of that pig pen of condemnation. Who am I? I'm not any good. I can't do anything. Let's walk out of that and believe, you know what? I am a man or woman of purpose. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I've been anointed and gifted by the Holy Spirit with wisdom, with power, and I can be a blessing to help somebody else. I have something to offer someone else. The last scripture I want to read to you is Jeremiah 29. Many of you could probably quote it. I'm reading from Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. It says, The Lord says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, so many of us have behaved like Peter, and we have come rushing and said, I'm a sinful person, so we've wanted a distance between you and us, you and ourselves. And because that we have kept our own thoughts of condemnation inside of our heads, inside of our thought processes, and we have not treated ourselves with the kindness that you have wanted us to. And Father God, that we have been having the, the pig pen mess around us of fear and doubt and not thinking we had anything to offer. We've condemned ourselves. We've judged ourselves. We've kicked ourselves over and over. And we have aided and abetted the enemy of our soul who has sought to bring us to a point of despair and discouragement. So, Father God, we repent. First of all, God, we repent for the sins, for the things that we did that maybe brought us to our current level of pain, for the mistakes we made or the whatever that we did. We repent. God, we also repent, Lord, for condemning ourselves, for judging ourselves unkindly, for continuing to criticize ourselves and to listen to those voices of accusation and condemnation. So, Lord God, we repent. And we're saying yesterday's past. Yesterday is past. And right now, Lord God, we want to hear your words from now on. From now on, there's no condemnation. From now on, you've got a plan. You've got some new compassion. You've got some new loving kindness, some new mercy that you want to show to us. You want us to believe it and receive it. So, Lord God, we're saying yes to your mercy and yes to a do-over. Yes to a do-over. The righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. And even if we have fallen over and over, we're claiming do over. And give us the grace, Lord God, to learn from our challenges, to learn from these things, to forgive ourselves, forgive other people, and pass our test and not be beat up in the process. Hallelujah. Lord God, I ask you to forgive us for just agreeing with the enemy, for agreeing with those thoughts of fear and those thoughts of, of doubt and despair. And we receive your forgiveness, Lord God. God, we receive forgiveness from you right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And we receive your forgiveness right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I command the spirits of accusation and condemnation to come out of these people now in Jesus' name. I rebuke every lying spirit of accusation, every condemning spirit in the name of Jesus. I command you to loose your hold upon them right now. Every spirit that's been bringing up their past, that's been bringing up and replaying the pain and the difficulty and the sin, in Jesus' name, I command you to go from this people now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. We give you praise. Father God, we thank you, Lord. I ask you to flood us right now with new thoughts, with new minds, with new wine of your spirit, Lord God, that, God, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your blessing. We receive, Lord God, your grace to help in time of trouble. And no matter, Lord, what we're facing, we know, Lord God, your word says you are good, you are kind, and you have thoughts towards us that are not thoughts of evil, but they are thoughts of peace. And you're going to bring us to an expected end. Hallelujah. And Lord, we're going to find you. We're going to seek you and we're going to find you. We're going to find the solutions. We're going to find the peace. We're going to find the grace. All that we need, Lord God, because you are our refuge in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Tell somebody, my pig pen days are over. (laughs) Days are over. Amen. Hug somebody. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia 23328. Thank you.